Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Well, so we're coming to the end of our series, uh, The Story of What We Believe, where we've been most recently walking through the eight sections that make up what we've been calling the long version of that story. Uh, Eight sections, each devoted to some aspect of our faith. And the one that we're going to be talking about today is all about God's people. Or what this side of the cross, uh, we've gotten used to calling the church. The statement's uh, actually printed on the inside of your bulletin as it's been these these last um, few weeks. But but today, I don't so much uh, want to focus on that statement. I'll read it at the very end of our service. Uh, I don't so much want to focus on that statement as much as bring us back to the passage that we've been, we've been bedded down in for the last two weeks uh, in Acts chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn there again to Acts chapter 2. And, and, and though we've already looked at the, at the details and how they relate to uh, to Jesus, and then last week, uh, as some of those details relate to the area of salvation, I want to sweep back through the entirety of this chapter and again look at it with fresh eyes to see what it has to say about the church, about who we are and why we're here. It's actually a story about uh, an old rabbi who was meditating one day on his way um, through the, the, the village where he, he lived to the other side of the, the village where his home was. And he got so far into meditating that he actually didn't realize he had walked from one end of the village out the other end and eventually came to a Roman outpost. And the guard who was posted there came out startled that this man, past curfew hours, was, was, was walking uh, down this country road at this point, came out and, and shouted to him exactly that, Who are you and what are you doing here? And the, the rabbi flustered in that moment, caught his, his, um, his breath and said to the Roman uh, soldier, How much do they pay you to ask those questions? The Roman soldier said, Two denarii a day, Jew. What's it to you? The rabbi answered, I'll pay you double. If you come to my house every day and ask me those two questions. Who are you and what are you doing here? And that's what we're going to do as we dive into Acts chapter 2. Look at these two questions of who we are and what are we doing here. As we, again, rip through this chapter again. And because we've already been here for the last couple weeks, I'm not going to spend the time to read the entirety of this chapter. uh, Not least because we do have some of our younger kids here. And although I like reading, I don't know if I can get through the whole thing and a sermon with your attention, kids. So instead, I just do want to pick up on the end of this chapter. If you remember uh, where we've been, if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, it's Pentecost. 
and the Spirit of God has just fallen upon God's people. And Peter has stood up in the midst of a crowd and given an explanation as to what was happening. That, that God's Spirit, these were the last days, the, the, the day of the Lord, right, had come. When, when these were the last days when God's people were filled with God's Spirit and God was doing His thing through them. And then we get to the end of this chapter where Peter directly connects what's going on with the death and resurrection of Jesus that had just taken place 50 days before this. So he says again in Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to begin in verse 36. Peter says this, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now it says, when they heard this, the crowd heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them, all the proceeds, to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Would you pray with me once more? Heavenly Father, as we pause to consider this picture of your church, we pray that we would not just see it as a a bygone picture of what once was but as a vision of what might be again. That we would hear and understand what it is in this picture that we might be ourselves. And that we might not be satisfied with just the taste of it, but, but by your grace expect the bounty. Even now, Lord, may it be so with us in the name of Jesus. Amen. It was during a, um, a defining moment of the American Civil Rights Movement that a, a man uh, walked to a podium in the shadow of the Lincoln Memorial. And for 17 minutes called our nation 
back to the equality its founding documents professed. And not just that, but to end the discrimination that had been so recurrent in its past. I have a dream, Martin Luther King said, that that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed, that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. I have a dream. That one day on the the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream. That one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the, the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream. That one day my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Dreams are powerful things. Especially when a dream not only puts forward a vision of what could be, but a vision of what should be, a vision of what ought to be, a vision of what was meant to be. Whether that's the dream that Martin Luther King had for this nation, or what God dreamed up for God's church. Because a dream is a powerful thing. King's dream we haven't seen realized yet to its full potential. This is is the newsreel, right? That we are still walking through as a country. But when it comes to God's dream for God's church, I want to suggest today that we have a glimpse of that dream lived out in Acts chapter 2. And so this morning we're going to look at this picture of what once was and find there a vision for ourselves of what we might be today, even here in KBC, as we're a little part of that big church of God's. Because a dream is a powerful thing. And we're going to find that it boils down to four characteristics. Now stick with me. We sort of wade through the extent of this chapter. First, we see that that, that we're a people, the, the church is a people in whom God dwells. And this comes from the early part of this chapter. We're, we're told that Jesus' followers were all gathered together on the day of Pentecost, and, and like one guy said, it was probably for good reason, because God hadn't missed a holiday yet. After all, the holiday before what was called the the Feast of Firstfruits was the day Jesus rose from the dead. Before that was the Passover, when Jesus was crucified on our behalf. So they're all gathered together. Jesus' followers are all gathered together on Pentecost probably because they were expecting something. And God didn't disappoint. We're told that at that time, the the Spirit of God descended and and filled every one of them. 
But don't miss the timing of this, because the Feast of First Fruits, when, when Jesus was raised from the dead, was a celebration of a smaller crop that foreshadowed a fuller crop still to come. That's what the Feast of First Fruits was. Now, 50 days later, Penta, 50, Pentecost celebrated the ingathering of that fuller crop. These are harvest festivals. But when most of the, the people in Jerusalem were there celebrating the ingathering of wheat or barley, these followers of Jesus are, are, are given a reason to celebrate a far greater harvest still. A resurrection of their own. That's why in the Bible, Jesus is referred to as the first fruits. Because his resurrection is not the only thing we look forward to. But his resurrection was the foreshadowing of our own. But on top of being a harvest feast, you got to understand that Pentecost was also a celebration of the day God's people arrived at God's mountain. Remember the story? Way back when, after they were freed from slavery long before Jesus, where God met them and made them His own. Where God descended in, in fire and thick smoke and, and promised that He would dwell with them, that, that they would be His people and that He would be their God. A promise that was never quite filled. Because it required God's people to follow God. When all they ever ended up doing was fail. But now, on this Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, in the, in the wake of the cross, in the shadow of the empty tomb, on this Pentecost, God descends like never before. Because He descends in the person of the Spirit, not only dwells in the midst of His people, as He had promised to do, but dwells inside His people. And indwells His people. And by the power of the Spirit, they're raised from death to life again and are empowered to live like a people in whose midst God dwells because now they're a people in whom God dwells. And now we can be that people we were meant to be from that very first encounter on that mountain. A people through whom God's presence is now known in God's world. Just take a moment to let that sink in. That we're to be a people through whom God's presence is now known in God's world. It's quite the job description, isn't it? That, that, that if the world wants to meet God, if your neighbors want to meet God, if your co-workers want to meet God, if the little old lady down the street wants to meet God, or the young kid running over your lawn wants to meet God, that they can no longer go to a temple. 
They can no longer go to some building made by hands. They can't go to some mountain, not even God's mountain, because we're now the mountain. And if they're going to meet God or encounter their Creator, they must meet Him in God's people. First, that we're a people in whom God dwells. Second, that we're a people through whom God speaks. And we saw this last year, last week, because when God comes in, God's word comes out. That's how it works. That's just the way it is. And and that's what happened at Pentecost when the Spirit uh, uh, fell on Jesus' followers. We're told back in verse 4 that that they began to speak. And, And what were they speaking? Well, when we finally find out in, in verse 14, it's, it's that they were declaring the mighty works of God. And this is where Peter explains that it's a, a fulfillment of what was foreseen over 500, 6, 7, 800 years before. Long before that. that. That in the day of the Lord, in those days, God would pour out His Spirit and His people would prophesy. And though there was something utterly unique about that day, with with what exactly was was coming out of their mouths and and what those in Jerusalem, the crowds in Jerusalem were hearing and, and how they were hearing in their own language. There was something utterly unique about that day and all this business of tongues, right? Which we could talk a lot on, but we're not going to get into that right now. Though there was something utterly unique about that day, what turns out wasn't unique at all was the fact that God's people indwelt by God's Spirit were declaring God's mighty works. Because when God comes in, God's Word comes out. And that's the heart of prophecy. Declaring God's Word to God's world. Now that raises all sorts of questions. But at the very least, it suggests that, that we're meant to be a people through whom God speaks, through whom the world might hear of His mighty works. Which is a real tangible litmus test for your relationship with that God. Because if the only time you ever talk about God is in those moments that you're supposed to talk about God, and you never actually find yourself just declaring God's mighty works when you're not supposed to talk about God, then you may not know the God you assume you know. Because our relationship to God is a little like Tom Sawyer's relationship to Huck Finn. Now, everybody else thinks that Huck Finn is just a hoodlum running around, an orphan, doing no good because he has no good parents in his lives to steer him in the right direction. They think that anybody who associates with, with Huck Finn must be the same. But to Tom, Huck Finn is a god. And something got into Tom so so that in his little world there was nothing more important 
or exciting or admirable than Huck. So what do you think he was talking about around the dinner table? Or what do you think he was talking about in the schoolyard? Or what do you think he was, he was talking about when the teacher was pulling out a whip to whip him? But that ain't what Huck says. Because something had gotten into Tom. And likewise, when you're part of God's people, something gets into you. Because we're meant to be a people in whom God dwells. And you can't help talking about the one you've become captivated with. Because we're meant to be a people through whom God speaks. But third, it's important to say that we're meant to be a people by whom God's Son is glorified. Because declaring the mighty works of God, we're meant to get to Jesus. Which is exactly where Peter goes. See, Peter's explanation of all that that happened on that day is that that it's all just a, a precursor to what he calls the day of the Lord. That's what the quote is all about in verse 17. That in the last days, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. But then he spends all of his energy for the rest of this sermon, for the rest of this speech before the crowds in Jerusalem, he spends all of his energy establishing the fact that the Lord is Jesus. So by verse 36 he could say, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So as much as we're meant to declare the mighty works of God, if we're, if we're at all to follow in the footsteps of Jesus' first followers, we must ultimately be a people by whom God's Son is glorified. Because that's God's mightiest work of all. When it came to Tom Sawyer, from the, the very beginning, it was huck this and huck that. You see it just in in those adventure stories. But there came a point when the two of them had worked themselves into such a a conundrum, into such a, a predicament that their very lives were on the line. Because they had ticked off some pretty powerful thieves, uh, some, some pretty bad men, and they'd gotten themselves into a mess of trouble. And at the end of their adventure, Huck actually steps in to save Tom's life at the risk of his own. And guess what? From that day forward, all of a sudden, What began as huck this and huck that became something else. That on that day, huck saved my life. And I'm here now because of what huck did back then. But how much more with Jesus? 
How much more does Jesus focus the mighty works of God? That it's almost all you can see now. That what Jesus did back then, because of that, I'm here today. How much more with the one who was crucified and raised to life again? How much more with the one who ascended from the grave and then ascended to the right hand of the Father? How much more with the one who has poured out his spirit on all flesh that all who call on the name of the Lord might be saved? Because at the cross, Jesus saved my life. And I remember the day, walking up a hill in Pennsylvania, when God broke in and showed me who Jesus was. And because of what he did back then, I am who I am today. See, when we become a people in whom God dwells, we're empowered to be a people through whom God speaks, that we might be a people by whom God's Son is glorified. As we forth live as a people over whom God reigns. Listen again to what happens when Peter's done talking. It says in verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Question we ought to ask more in life. What shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit as well. Repent. Which at its heart simply means to to turn around from going your own way. Start going God's way. To admit that that you can't sit on the the throne like like you've been trying to all along. And further, to acknowledge that there's only one who can sit there. And it's the one that throne was made for. And when we submit ourselves to the king, we get the, the seal of the kingdom family. We get the Spirit. And and look how different life looks under the influence of the Spirit. I don't know if you could explain it any other way. Look, look at what it says in verse 42. That they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayer. I don't know anybody who would do this naturally, on their own. Who shows up to church except that God's working in their lives? When before all we ever cared about was accumulating toys, going after pleasure. Who does this? Look how different it is. It says that awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And that all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Because, you know, that's how the Feast of Pentecost was meant to be celebrated. If you go back and look at at Leviticus, where this is all spelled out, and God sort of put this down on paper, that's how the Feast of Pentecost was meant to be celebrated. The harvest feast, when the big harvest comes in. The the crop that the little crop foreshadowed. 
that you were to celebrate it by not cutting the sides of your field. And here it is. Not just not cutting the sides of your field. They're selling their fields. And they're giving it all away. To any as had need. Now there's complications to this. There's things to work through of what's helpful, what's not helpful. But sometimes passing it off as complicated, we dismiss it and never get about the business of doing it. This is what it means to be the people of God. This is the picture of who we are and why we're here. It says, day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You look back a little and you read, 3,000 came to Christ that day. It wasn't a mistake. You look back on that first mountain where God first came down to meet with his people, make his people his own. When they were supposed to become his people and follow him, but all they did was fail to follow. After God comes down and, and writes his way on stone tablets for them to follow, they're breaking those commands. They're breaking that way before, even, before Moses even gets down from the mountain. Making up gods to say, these are the ones that led us out of slavery. This cow. The plague breaks out. And 3,000 die. But it's only in Jesus resurrection life comes back again. Because all of a sudden, God's people are living under God's reign. Not their own. Because when each of us is is going for the throne, it isn't good for any one of us. But when Christ is king... We're freed from the anarchy that destroys us to live under the banner that has the the potential to unite us. To see more than in our country Martin Luther King's dream fulfilled and so much more because it's God's dream for God's church that we would be a people in whom God dwells. So that we'd be empowered to be a people through whom God speaks. That we might be a people by whom God's Son is glorified as we live as a people over whom God reigns. May it be so, even now. Let's pray. Lord, it is our prayer that we 
would be aligned with you and your son to seek and to save the lost. That we would have the grace to expend our lives for for the sake of your kingdom. It's expansion in in breadth and depth to be your people in whom you, you dwell and through whom you speak, by whom your son is glorified and over whom you reign from this day forward and forevermore. In the name of your Son, we pray. Amen. I just want to close by reading this statement that's in, our, uh, in this draft copy of our, our new doctrinal statement. It says this, Since God first set about to save the world, His people have been those called out of darkness to live by faith in faithfulness to God. On account of Jesus' work, God's people are rescued from death by grace, reconciled to God through faith, and renewed into the image of His Son by the work of His Spirit. Together we live out our faith in God's faithful Son and local communities of believers, submitting ourselves to His Word, celebrating in baptism His work of bringing individuals from death to life, and remembering in the Lord's Supper His body broken and blood poured out on our behalf. Through these demonstrations of our devotion to Jesus and to his followers, we tell and retell the story of his faithfulness to us as we look forward to his return. Thank you for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H Bible dot O-R-G.